We have a special, special, special guest minister this morning who's been here before, but it's been a few years. It was before the pandemic and all of that. But I'm sure many of you who were here then remember him. And he's here with his wife. Um, and they come from the great country of Cameroon. <laughs> so all the Cameroonians in the house this morning, would you please stand? Come on. All the Cameroonians that stand. Oh, Dr. Sean, look at your people. Look at your people. Look at your people. <laughs> Amen. So we want you to feel at home, but I'm going to invite Dr. Sean Smith, uh, he and his wife, Dr. Annie, oversee uh, Gospel of Christ Ministries, and his whole, his whole mandate is to reveal Christ. And God has gifted him as a teacher, um, an amazing teacher of God's Word, an expositor of God's Word. And I know this morning God is going to speak to us through him. So will you please stand and let's receive Dr. Sean Smith, please. Abba, Father, can you please do something for me before you sit down? Greet the person beside you and tell them I honor the Christ in you. Amen. Um, I want to thank God for the great honor and privilege that it is to be here with you all. I want to thank Bishop Johnson for this great opening of the Lord to minister with you. You are my family. I do not consider myself to be uh, simply a visitor. Uh, this is part of my family, and so I love you. And thank you, Bishop, once again for the great honor and privilege. Bishop was with us in the month of November 2019, and he came and he preached the house down because he said he took his revenge for the last time uh, that he, he, we, I w was with you, and so he took his revenge big time. So I'm not going to say I'm here for revenge, but... Well, thank you all for being here, and I honor the Lord for his faithfulness in you celebrating 33 years. We thank the Lord for his faithfulness. We thank the Lord for his sustainment. We thank the Lord for many years to come and for your collaboration and commitment to the vision. Uh, we thank the Lord for that. Glory be to God. I'm here this morning with my wife of 15 years, Dr. Annie Smith, and we, we have five children. They're in the Sunday school and the youth service. Um, I believe in church growth by evangelism and procreation. Don't be afraid of having big families. It's an honor to be with you, 
woman of God, love you. Almighty Father, in the name above every other name, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for your family this morning, for your sons and daughters. We pray that you will answer our questions by revealing more of your son and enable us to perceive and know even as we are known. And we thank you that as we behold Christ Jesus glorified, we will see ourselves as we are glorified in him. Amen and amen. You may please be seated this morning. I'm going to ask that we turn to Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Because you are one with Christ. As Bishop just shared with you all, our mandate consists of revealing Christ Jesus. That term apocalypsis, to reveal, which is to lift the veil implies that you're exposing what is already true of you. Paul uses a term 164 times throughout his epistles. He uses the term en Christos, you are in Christ. That's the signature of the Pauline revelation. And the gospel of grace is, in essence who we are, what we are, where we are, what we have, and what we can do in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to read Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and I'm old-fashioned, so I use King James Version. Old school is good. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Can someone say, yet not I? But Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the interpreters of Paul have always attempted to find what they call the center of his theology. Even Apostle Peter said that Paul has received wisdom of the Lord to expand in his many epistles things that pertain unto salvation, which those that are unstable and those that are unlearned are always twisting and misinterpreting because he had a lot of things to say. You know, many preachers always have a lot of things to say, but have no substance as to what they are saying. But Paul is not the case. Paul has something to say, and he's saying the same thing over and over again in so many ways. Glory to God. Because he, in his epistles, he receives what can be called the CT scan of Christ. In the four Gospels, you have a photograph of Christ. You have the evangelists giving us their experience of Christ, of what they heard, of what they saw, 
of the things they witnessed when Jesus was with them for his three and a half years of ministry. It's a photograph. And we have in time and space what he began to do and teach. But in Paul's epistles, we have the CT scan. And the CT scan shows you what is happening on the inside in real time. You see, you can't do a proper diagnosis of a person if you just took their picture. You need to know what's happening on the inside of them in real time. And when Paul gives us a CT scan of the glorified Christ, you are on the inside of him. You are on the inside of Christ. You see, there are certain aspects of the gospel which are historical. There are certain aspects which are contemporal. He is the eternal contemporary. There is a reality concerning Christ Jesus of who you are now. And of who he is right now in you. I know many people have heard about uh, something's going to happen. Right? They say, expect a miracle. Something's gonna happen. Well, it's about time that we learn what the good news is. Because the good news implies that something has happened. And if we learn to acknowledge what has happened, we would rejoice. Because the good news will make you glad. Paul gives us a description of who he is, and by extension, you and I. He declares, I am crucified with Christ. You would almost think this is a, this is a historical inaccuracy because we know that when Jesus was crucified on the outskirts of Jerusalem, Paul was not present at the foot of Calvary, neither was he nailed to the wooden tree. So how is it that Paul says, I am crucified with Christ? Well, he's speaking beyond what happened in the, from the human perspective, and he's speaking of what happened in the economy of God. When Jesus Christ was crucified, you were crucified with him. And when he died, you died. And when he was buried, you were buried. And when he was quickened on the third day, you were quickened together with him. And when he was raised to the right hand of the Father, you were raised to the right hand of the Father with him. And when he took session, you were seated together with him. If there's one area in which the believer will get defeated, it is in the realm of his mind. And more specifically, in the realm of identity. It's one thing for God to know who you are in his sight. It's another thing altogether for you to know. And we are one with Christ. When many times believers hear of salvation, they speak of the work of Christ on the cross. And that is not inaccurate, but it's incomplete. You see, there are two kinds of knowledge, your opinion and the truth. And the truth of God is immutable, it cannot change. You can only be for the truth, you cannot be against it. The truth does not become true when you acknowledge it. 
the truth always was true. And that is why we need to move beyond what is our initial experience of God. Because there is much more in Christ. There is much more that we are to know of him. And this is the important thing. We need to know together with him. There is something that God knows that he wants you to know together with him. In Latin, that's the term consciere, from which we have the term consciousness. There's a quality of knowledge that is not simply information. There's a quality of knowledge which renews your awareness of yourself. And this is the knowledge which Paul brings to us by what happened at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus didn't just offer a work to the Father on your behalf for our salvation. The person of Jesus Christ, the Savior, is the one in whom we have our salvation. Now this is very crucial. We cannot have a, a dichotomization of the saving work of Christ and the person of Christ Jesus himself. If we think so, we will be in danger of seeking something in Christ other than Christ himself. You see, I laugh when I hear that the fish in the lake complains of thirst. How can the fish in the lake complain of thirst? He's already in the lake. He should just go ahead and drink. Now, you are deficient of nothing. You lack nothing. You are in Christ. But unfortunately, many believers are so desensitized to who they are in Christ and to the saving union that they have with Christ that they focus on their external, temporal, day-to-day -day needs and they forget that they are in permanent, saving union with Jesus Christ. <laughs> Glory be to God. So we're going to look at some things this morning. Three things Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He speaks of union. Can someone say union? He speaks of identification. Can you say identification? He speaks of participation. Can you say participation? Union, identification, participation. One more time for the Holy Spirit. Union, identification, participation. Union is a shared oneness. It's not that you and Jesus are put together and amalgamated into one. That's not the case. Union is the very pattern, the template from which creation was brought forth from the Trinity. You see, Jesus told them in the Gospel of St. John 14, verse 20, in that day, he predicted what is supposed to happen in this day. What we are supposed to know in this day. In that day, he said, you will know that I am in my Father 
and that ye are in me, and that I am in you. He's speaking the language of union. He speaks of, you will know that I, the Son, am in my Father, Trinitarian union. And that ye are in me, the true God-man, the hypostatic union. And that I am in you, the mystical union of Christ in the believer. So it is oneness that is shared. It is union with distinction. You remain who and what you are, and yet you are brought into that shared oneness ontologically with Jesus Christ. This is so beautiful because Jesus Christ doesn't just give us something called salvation detached from his person. He is our salvation. And here we understand what happened at the fall of man. We understand what happened when Adam fell. When Adam fell, there was a shadow of turning. There was this false notion that Adam could become like God without God. That he could be an independent self. Isn't it surprising to find out that Adam's desire, Eve's desire, Adam's desire to become like God is the very thing that the adversary used to distract them from God. And that is why man's rebellion thrives the most when it comes to human religions, works, and legalism. We want to work for what already is given freely. We want to pursue and seek whatever, is, whatever God has already fully supplied. In Adam's shadow of turning, he decided he was going to work for what was already true of him. He had to first deny what he was. You see... Paul said the following to the Corinthian brethren. He said, I fear that as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, lest he should also seduce you from the simplicity that is in Christ. The satanic seduction is for you to be desensitized, to be distracted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that word in the Greek is haplotes, which means union, singularity, the devotion of recognizing that I am one with Christ. And how does that distraction take place? The distraction takes place by a shift of thought from the internal to the external. You see, the satanic gaze shifts attention to that which is subject to change. Tell someone the thing that you think is so disturbing today is subject to change. This too shall pass. Amen. (laughs) 
God has not given us something detached from himself. God is himself our salvation. But what we find is that when we attempt to make for ourselves that which he already freely gave us, we are in a situation where we need to be allowed to be exhausted. We need to hit rock bottom. And many of you have come to appreciate grace after you hit rock bottom. In fact, that is what the law was meant for. If you're doing the law properly, you will hit rock bottom. You will exhaust yourself. Because you cannot work for what God has fully supplied. It's yours. It's time for us to learn to enjoy what is rightfully ours in Christ. See, the master idea in Paul is coherence, is mutual indwelling. This is why he says, I was crucified with Christ. King James says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You just said you were crucified, Paul. Nevertheless, you live. What are you referring to? Well, union with Christ comes to redefine the I principle. He has come to redefine your I principle. Man was never created to live as an independent self. The notion of independent self is in fact a fallen state of mind. You are not an autonomous I, me, and myself, meaning you live in isolation. While you're responsible for how you utilize your will, as a person, you were created to function from God. You were meant to live from within the receptivity of his activity. Responding to a life of union, identification, and participation. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you see, the Lord Jesus Christ broke it down very easily in the upper room discourse. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Organically, that describes union. When man turned from God in Adam, that shadow of turning created what is called a privation. For man to operate, he needed to recognize himself in God. In the gaze of the face-to-face -face relation with the Father. Remember, when the Logos created Adam, in the book of Genesis, we are told in chapter 2, he molded the body from the clay and breathed into his face, the Hebrew says. King James says nostrils. He breathed into his face the breath of life and man became a living soul. He was meant to live from that face-to-face -face gaze, union and communion. That's why he was created in God's image after his likeness. 
there's the static quality, and then there is also the dynamic quality. There is the being, there is the becoming. There is salvation, there is transformation. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. We live, likeness, that's the image. We move, likeness, have our being. What happened now is that as Adam turned from God, what happened is that in that shadow of turning, he substituted the gaze of God with his own imagination. And with the voice of accusation from the adversary, what happened was he commits idolatry. When God created man in his image, we've wanted to return the favor ever since and create a God in our own image. And that is why man is prolific in his idolatry. And he can create idols of wood, idols of metal, even idols from text of the Bible. We can misinterpret the whole counsel of God and suppose we know what God is like because we have a number of proof texts to support a particular point. That is why Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, is ultimately the word of God the one who is the divine meaning of the scriptures themselves. That is why if you properly exegete scripture, you should present Christ. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So in Adam's shadow of turning, there's a privation. Privation means for him to thrive within his nature, all of the qualities are not present. So he begins to die. Death is not just when he enters into necrosis or the death state where he's a corpse. Death started in Adam from the moment he had that shadow of turning. From the moment he no longer knew God's accurate view and opinion of him, he fell short of the glory of God. He fell short of the doxa of God. And from that moment, what happened was he started dying. And when he heard the voice of God coming, walking in the garden, what did he do? He hid himself and he made an apron of fig leaves. What does an apron do? It covers your belly and it covers your intimate parts. That is what man has been attempting to do with the first church of the fig leaf tree, the fig leaves. We've been attempting to seek the approbation of God by curbing, by regulating our appetites, but tell Adam not to turn around. Because if Adam turns around, he's still exposed. He's still naked. He can't cover himself. <laughs> so there is a divine dilemma because man has entered into a state where he is going into ruin he's entered into death and God is impassable 
meaning God cannot suffer the same way man suffers in his own nature. So what is God to do? God, in the wonders of his grace, becomes what we are. He takes upon himself in the mystery of the incarnation our human nature. And in his one composite person, truly God, he becomes truly man. And the human nature now enables God to enter into death. And the divine nature is now able to fill the human nature with divine life. So when Jesus Christ enters into death, it is God himself in Christ that is entering into death to transform what would have been our end to become a glorious new beginning. That is why the inevitability of Christ dying is the resurrection on the third day. And the resurrection on the third day is man as God intended. A completely new creation. So when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, he is saying something. God came to repudiate my shadow of turning. You see, God embraces us at the same time he repudiates what he has not endorsed of us. God's loving embrace equally repudiates what he knows is not true of you. So at the cross we have God's yes and at the same time God's no. You see with me, can I see you wave your hand if you're still there? A few of you, that's good, that's good. We're going to make it, hold tight, we're going to make it. God does not embrace our erroneous mindset. This is why from union, he brings us into identification. I am crucified with Christ. I am, in the Greek, is a term ego. My false ego was crucified with Christ. My mistaken identity was crucified with Christ. Because when we speak of sin, what is sin at its root core? What is sin if you break it down to the lowest common denominator? Sin is a mistaken identity. Sin is living out and carrying out the behavior of what you are not. <laughs> it means to miss the mark. Harmatia. To miss the point of who God called you to be and of what you are. So to suppose what you are not, God embraces you while rejecting your erroneous view of yourself. And he did that by identification. He entered into the point where you fell. The point where you disobeyed. And he assumed your position. And he now takes our human nature... 
And he, by his perfect obedience, reroutes the entirety of our humanity to reconciliation with his father. That's what is called the vicarious humanity of Christ. From the, from the Latin term vicarius. You know, in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, Caesar called a draft that all the noble houses should provide their sons to go and fight for the empire expansion program. And many fathers didn't want to send their sons on the battlefield, so you know what they did? They would bring in their, their servants, their slaves, and then they would sign in their son's name. And under, they would put in brackets, vicarius, in place of. And these servants would go on the battlefield and they would fight valiantly. And the sons of these nobles would be sipping lemonade back at home. But when it was time for them to be awarded for their valiance in battle, it was the son who stayed at home that was awarded because the one who went on the battlefront went forth vicarious in his name. When Jesus came in his humanity, we are told that he came as the last Adam. Adam was the type of the one who was to come. Paul tells us in Romans 5. The word type refers to the impression of an imprint. Have you ever used a stamp on a document before? You have the imprint and you have the impression. The imprint, which is on the device, is the inverse of the image it produces. Jesus Christ is the inverse image of what Adam did in his fall. Adam was the preview of Christ to come. So in Adam's act of disobedience, which accrued to the whole of humanity, Jesus Christ came that in recapitulation, he would take the point where Adam fell and he would identify with our sin, make it his own. But from that act of identification, by taking on our sin as his own, he would supply his righteousness to us. <laughs> no longer I that live it. What kind of I are you talking about, Paul? Sin conscious I. No longer sin conscious I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. No longer poverty conscious I, Christ liveth in me. No more depressed I, Christ liveth in me. He redefines the I principle. Well, I'm happy that Bishop pointed out that we have people from Le Continent here this morning. It's a Cameroon inside joke. Parce qu'on est un pays 
qui est tout un continent. We're a country that makes up a continent. One day I asked the Lord, Lord, show me how I can explain this to your people. You know, because sometimes these theological concepts can be hard for people to get. They've been so desensitized from Christ that it's hard for them to get. And Cameroon played against Brazil during the last World Cup. And they were already on the way out. They were already going home, no matter how they perform. And they happened to win Brazil. And even though they were disqualified, even though they were going home, there was celebration in the whole nation. I said, Lord, what causes the people to celebrate so much? Because when they see those players on the field, they identify themselves as a nation with what is happening in those jerseys. Now listen to this. Jesus put on our jersey. The vicarious humanity of Jesus Christ is he put on our jersey. He stood in where we had fallen. He stood in where you were not winning. He stood in where there was lack. He stood in where there was disease. He stood in where there was infirmity. And he began to turn the whole situation of the human condition around. Hey! He fought your battles. He went in the war. He went into warfare on your behalf. He descended into death, hell, and the grave. He vanquished all that stood against our humanity. He vanquished what stood against your household. He vanquished what stood against your family. Somebody shout amen. Identification means to treat the same. All qualities taken into account. To treat as the same. To treat as the same. It's from the Latin term identidem. Identidem. Meaning the same. Identidem. You see, until you know the source you cannot properly identify. I know that's a big word in the United States right now. You see, until you know the original source from whom you derive, you will not know from whom to identify. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, you need to now reckon yourselves as dead unto sin and alive unto God. That word reckon is an accounting term. Logizomai. You know why people always hesitate to identify with their righteousness in Christ? Say, well, this thing that Bishop is teaching us that we're righteous in Christ... If they are wrong, I don't know. I don't know this kind of thing like this. Is it not in the New Testament? Yes, it's in the New Testament, but you know, 
Why is it that we hesitate? Because we have not reckoned. Legisomai means to trace a transaction from its source. If you had a notification right now from your bank account, and the notification said a million dollars. I heard someone just say, I receive. I don't. <laughs> you would not have the boldness to spend that money until you could trace where it comes from. Because you may be saying, I may be set up by the mafia or something. Well, Paul tells us we are to trace our righteousness in the fact that we are dead unto sin. So we look at what happened at the cross and we see that who we were in our fallen mindset, in our identification sourced in Adam is now dead. Did you get what I just said? The man who was cursed is dead. The man who was diseased is dead. The man who was categorized a sinner is dead. That's what the cross represents. And in the resurrection, you are alive unto God. You should be able to trace this transaction and boldly assert your righteousness in Christ by saying, yes, this is who I am. That's called identification. Someone say identification. Acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Tell someone every good thing. Every advantageous thing. Every benefit, Every benefit which is in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Is, in me. is in me. So listen to this. This is simple, which takes us into participation. Being, on, being conscious of Christ, you operate in, in Christ's faith unconsciously. You were not called to be conscious of whether or not you're walking in faith. You were not called to be conscious of whether or not you are properly praying as you should. Let me tell you why. Because by the life of participation, you are, each participant is fully present in the activity of the other. He is at the Father's right hand in session. He's still in ministry. Do you know that? He has his present day ministry at the Father's right hand. And he's also within you. As you become conscious of him, his activities will spring forth. And you will realize by his spirit within you, he will lead you to pray. He will lead you to reach out to others. He will lead you to do things that will lead to the advancement of the kingdom on earth. It is the ministry of Jesus Christ alone that builds the kingdom. 
<laughs> I will go as far as saying that of myself, I don't even have a ministry. It is to the extent to which I learn to identify and participate in his ministry that I can stand in offices to bless his church. Because he called us to participate in what he is doing. He called us to participate in his faith. He called us to participate in all that is in him because all that is in him is in you. Thank you, Lord. Paul said something very shocking. He told the brethren in Corinth that, you know, why, how can you take the members of Christ and join the members of Christ to impropriety? Their act of immorality was joining Christ to what they were doing. That's the extent of our participation. You're taking Christ with you in whatever activity you're going into. Which means the following, as you're going to your job tomorrow, you're not thrown back on yourself. As you step into that office tomorrow, you're not going on yourself. As you're going back home to face the issues of your domestic life, you're not going back on yourself. Christ is participating together with you. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. The life I live in the flesh. There's a life in the flesh. There's a life of human issues. There's a life that is tested. There's a life of circumstances and situations. But this life in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God. We participate in His faith. Because we know that He loves us and He has given Himself for us. This is the greatest awareness you should have of yourself in this life of union, identification, and participation. Today, you may be here this morning listening to me. This may sound new to some of you. Some of you have probably heard this before. But I want to speak to someone in particular who has thoughts of rejection, thoughts of discouragement, thoughts of thinking you were called to a life of imitation of Christ, meaning he's outside of you and you have to follow his footsteps. I came to let you know he's taking those footsteps together with you from the inside of you. And even when you will feel as if you are falling, you'll be standing because he is standing on the inside of you. Any thought of rejection is not the voice of your Abba Father. Because your Abba Father has shed forth the spirit of his son in our hearts, affirming that we are the sons of God. Today he's setting your heart free from fear. Fear of what's happening in the world. Fear of uncertainty. Fear of the things that may come about. He wants you to know you're not thrown back on yourself. You're one with Christ. And because you are one with Christ, you are co-identified in Him. Can you declare this with me? I am crucified with Christ. One more time. I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not just faith in the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Lord. Before I leave this pulpit this morning, we know you're in your church anniversary and Dr. Annie and myself wanted to, Dr. Annie, just join me real briefly. Dr. Annie and myself wanted to present uh, something to our beloved bishop. We practice the culture of honor. We were raised to practice the culture of honor. And what do you give to a man who has everything? So we pray to the Lord and uh, he, he led us and he opened the door for us to have one of the leaves of the, or one of the first original 1611 King James Version Bibles. Because we know Bishop values the word of God above all else. And the particular leaf that we were able to get is on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, on behalf of Gospel of Christ Ministries, Dr. Annie and myself, we want to thank you, Bishop, and we love you. This is so, so precious. I appreciate it from the depths of my heart. Thank you. It means more than any amount of money you're going to give me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Amen. Amen.